two Barclays analysts. One hot topic, all sides explored. This is The Flip Side. The Flip Side is a podcast series featuring lively debate between two Barclays research analysts, taking opposing viewpoints on timely topics of importance to economies and businesses around the globe. Welcome to The Flip Side. I'm Jeff Melly, Barclays Global Head of Research, and I'm joined today by Ben Toyer, our head of Latin American equity research and our America's agribusiness food analyst, to debate what he believes will have a great future in food, alternative meat. Welcome, Ben. Thanks, Jeff, for the invitation. We've had a flurry of activity in the alternative meat space recently, but I think we should start by defining for listeners what we actually mean by alternative meat. So let me first actually start by what it's not. It's not meat that's grown in a Petri dish or in a lab someplace, and it's not the old school veggie burgers, We'll talk more about that comparison later. It's plant-based food designed to look, feel, and taste as much like real meat as possible. Now, the notable market event in this space recently was the IPO of Beyond Meat, which initially performed extremely well, rising about six times from its IPO price. It's fallen somewhat from the highs, but it's still up over 200%, reflecting significant investor interest and enthusiasm for these new products. Well, there's been other news as well. Burger King introduced the Impossible Whopper, which uses the Impossible Burger, which is a competitor to the Beyond Burger at a number of stores. The rollout actually was so successful that they're now going to offer it nationally. According to data analytics done by InMarket Insights, the stores in St. Louis that had the Impossible Burger option experienced an almost 20% increase in foot traffic compared to the national average. And we've started to hear a lot more from the traditional food companies, Tyson, JBS, Nestle, among others, on their plans and prospects in this space too. All right, so acknowledging that we're in the early days of alternative meat, and there is currently a lot of enthusiasm, I think the natural question is if this is a real game changer for the food and meat industry, or if it's a fad that's going to fade over time, and this new wave of alternative meat will maybe just supplant the old school veggie burgers and remain a fringe product. Well, I fall in the former camp. I think it's a game changer. Well, like you say, the current enthusiasm is significant, but we're only in the early days. New products and thorough innovation will change significant parts of what we eat over the next decade. I think alternative meat will be a real and successful product. There are three reasons why it is going to be successful. First, the new wave of product tastes good and is a viable substitute for traditional meat. Second, they're healthier, and consumers' increased focus on health and wellness should drive significant adoption, even among non-vegetarians. And last but not least, those products are much better for the environment, particularly in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. As climate change worsens, I think that factor, as much as the health issue, will drive adoption. Well, Ben, I, I think this is a fad, and that interest is going to fade as more people try these products, and also as they learn more about the so-called health benefits that you mentioned. I also think that there are some interesting market signals that some of the recent fervor around these products is overdone. There's no way that these products, in my view, become a viable competitor to traditional old-fashioned meat. So let's get into it. All right, let's start. Let me put a marker down for what defines success. I think alternative meat will grow to be a 10% of the 1.4 trillion global meat market. Okay, I think we could use some context for how high a target you're setting there. It's very unlikely that plant-based products will replace actual cuts of meat, like steaks or chicken breasts. Meat alternatives at most can replace things like sausages and burgers. That's only about half of the meat market. 
So to get to your numbers, alternative meat would have to be 20% of those segments. That means one in five hamburgers and sausages. I think that's pretty high penetration. I actually think it's a modest goal. I mean, in certain European countries, meat alternatives are already at a 10% market share. While markets like the U.S., those alternatives have about a 5% market share. Now, once emerging markets follow suit, I do believe we can reach that 10% globally in about 10 years. Well, I agree that it has to come from specific segments, but there's a precedence for it. And one of the key drivers for how we will get there is taste. And I can tell you, I personally was impressed on how similar taste of a plant-based alternative can be. That's funny, because I've tried these products also, and I had the exact opposite reaction. Well, I'm not alone, Jeff. When we hosted a client event in early June offering a real burger, an impossible burger, and a beyond burger, half of the attendants liked the impossible most. Also consider the success Burger King has with the impossible Whopper. A set, it drove st- traffic in stores by more than 20% higher than to stores in the same area or on the national average. And the lines of people outside of the green-painted Kentucky Fried Chicken in Atlanta just because they're introducing the Beyond Chicken. And these companies have figured out how to make alternative meat that has the taste and texture of the real thing. It's not a new generation of veggie burgers. It's a completely new and better product. Well, I'll have to take your word that this is a step up from veggie burgers because that's a product I've actually never tried. But that just tells me that vegetarians or people who don't eat red meat, who are the current consumers of veggie burgers, might prefer these new and improved alternative meat products. It doesn't say that it's a viable replacement for carnivores. It could sell well with vegetarians and the like and so expand the market over what veggie burgers reached, but that doesn't mean that it's a replacement for actual meat. I actually don't think that these are properly targeted at vegetarians at all. I think it's really targeting a new consumer type, the so-called flexitarian, person who does eat meat but is looking for ways to get more healthy plant-based food into his or her diet. I'm not even sure that all vegans would want these products. Remember, they're intended to mimic meat very closely. They're made with beet juice, so they bleed like a real burger. I mean, I can imagine that may not be appealing to some vegetarians or vegans. We have also seen companies offering burger hybrids. Clearly, that's not aiming on vegetarians. Vegans, if 50% of the product is still real meat. And one reason, because health benefits. I mean, dramatically lower saturated fat, somewhat lower calories, And those calories, they come in much better forms, and you get the same level of proteins. Okay. In my view, I think these health benefits are actually overstated. So look, there's no doubt that these alternative meat products have less saturated fat. That's definitely true. But they also have way more salt. So you can kind of pick your poison. You could have high cholesterol or high blood pressure. It's not clear that one's necessarily better than the other. Well, not so fast. I mean, the higher salt only compared to steak Not the same thing as a typical burger. Okay, well, here's the ingredients for the burgers that I grilled last time I cooked outside. Chopped onions, garlic powder, and ground beef. If I would have used one of the plant-based burgers, here's a sample from the ingredient list. Pea protein isolate, expeller-pressed canola oil, cellulose from bamboo, methyl cellulose, I don't even know what these things are, maltodextrin, yeast extract, These are preservatives and additives that are put inside of these products to try to get that meat-based taste and texture 
Um, so, you know, I don't even know what all that stuff is. And mind you, there was no additional salt in, the, in, you know, in my own ingredient list. Well, but that's not the same for a fast food burger. There's lots of additives and preservatives too, and obviously a lot of salt. Now, according to MPD Group 2014, there were about 9 billion burgers sold in food service in the U.S. That equals to 28 burgers per person per year in the U.S. So, by the way, we're including newborns and toddler in that math. Now, realistically, that means the average American eats one burger per week. How often do you actually prepare them yourself? And also consider how all the cattle is raised nowadays. I mean, it's definitely not that natural anymore. And guess why there's such a success of the whole organic food, range-free, cage-free, antibiotic-free, you name it. I mean, that alone represents already 10% of retail sales in the U.S. I don't really think it's that much of a newsflash that fast food isn't healthy. So I'm not sure that that's really the right bar. It seems kind of like a low bar to set to say that something is a healthier option. Um, I'd also point out that we should look beyond labels like organic. So for example, alternative meats have a lot of GMOs or genetically modified organisms. Those tend to turn off some consumers, not me, but some consumers get turned off by that. And actually GMOs aren't even allowed in Europe. Well, the cows may not be genetically modified, but they're definitely modified. I mean, they're gemmed with antibiotics, all sorts of unnatural feed ingredients um, to the extent now cows weigh as much as 1,400 pounds on when they come into slaughter. That's about 40% more from the level 40 years ago. So I'd say there's still some sort of the modification going on, and that's what consumers are worried about, similar to GMO. Well, I think there's another point you shouldn't overlook, and that's regulation. And you know we're calling this alternative meat, but it's not clear that it's actually meat, whether it's GMO or non-GMO. Well, that actually is a good argument, Jeff. But then again, the term meat, it's not a trademark or a registered patent, and no legislation mandates something called meat to be of animal origin. I actually believe for the likes of FDA, the European Commission, and so on, it is much more of an interest promoting sales of a healthier product than defending some sort of old-school labeling discussions. All right, I guess I'm still not convinced with this health argument as a driver of consumer adoption. So just think about diet sodas for a moment. We know sugar is unhealthy, causes diabetes, cardiovascular disease, et cetera, et cetera. There's really no debate about that. But diet sodas, which obviously are sugar-free, are only about 10% of the soda market. So even where the health issues are clear-cut, never mind all this debate about salt and additives and everything else, the penetration of these products seems capped. Hold on. That analogy assumes that diet soda is actually healthy, but there are lots of concerns about artificial sugars too, and it's not clear that diet soda is any better at all. Well, that actually in some ways makes my case for me, which is there's all those extra ingredients and alternative meat, which I've got some health concerns about. So you actually might be making my case for me a bit there. Well, you're also thinking about this as a very comparison of two extremes, Jeff. It's one or the other. I think more of it as a portfolio, less one or the other. I mean, offering a diet soda without sugar alongside the original version, it broadens your footprint, your portfolio, and it allows you to grow no matter what. And for sure, while the diet version lacks share, it still has been growing at higher rates than, for example, an original one with a lot of sugar. Okay, there's got to be more behind your growth assumptions than this. So there's got to be something else behind this. 
Well, that's right, Jeff. So let's put health debate aside for a moment and think of the another motivation what we talked about, greenhouse gas emission. Pollution from cows worldwide is equivalent to about 1.5 billion cars. That's 50% more than the 1 billion cars that are actually on roads today. And with the cows, it's all about methane, and that is actually much more aggressive than CO2. It's amazing that cows produce so much methane to the extent that they're actually creating more greenhouse gas emissions than the sum total of all automobiles. Yeah, and it's not only in the methane. If we just add land use, other animal-based protein categories, and so on, farming in general is responsible for about a quarter of global greenhouse gas emission. So cattle is about 40% of that. But by reducing animal-based protein consumption and using soy instead of feeding animals as a plant-based source to create meat, well, as of a sudden, all farming would be much more efficient. Well, I really believe that although the companies engaged in alternative meat argue that they're more greenhouse gas friendly, there are advances being made by traditional farmers, particularly in the U.S., that have resulted in better greenhouse gas emission levels compared to traditional farming. And actually, on a per-pound basis, the greenhouse gas emission stats for protein have actually improved. No argument about that, but farming innovation in certain areas for sure has resulted in in improved greenhouse gas emission levels, but it is still quite a relative footprint, and you have to consider it's almost as high as all industrial activity worldwide. Now, you can't argue that the process of industrialized farming is going to make up for all of that. So you also need to consider there's a growing consumer base, and I still believe because of that, the product will be successful. Okay, so the climate stats are sobering, but I want to turn for a minute to talk about market signals. So amid the run-up in Beyond Meat's stock price, I mentioned that its stock price increased by a factor of six from the IPO at one point. We saw an increase in specialness, which is, which is a sign of short interest. That means that there's signals that some investors, probably professional investors, wanted to go short the stock, which means they would profit if its price declined. I think that's a sense that there might have been some hype and that professional investors who were looking at this market closely saw that the hype had taken over and that the reality maybe was less appealing. One stock over short time horizon is not a signal about a broader trend that should take a decade to play out. I'd rather look at the experts in food than some short-term trading signals. And actually, every big food company is investing in alternative meats. To give you just one example, JBS in Brazil, they launched under their high-end Ciara brand a pea-based burger, which actually does not only grow sales at a higher rate than its traditional beef-based peer, it also has higher levels of profitability. And these guys, they're not alone. I mean, they're of a big fish in the pond. I mean, you have Tyson, you have Nestle, you have Hormel, a lot of other companies that are just shifting part of their offerings into alternative meat as well. Well, Ben, that's something we're going to have to see in the years to come. And I want to thank you for an interesting conversation on this episode of The Flipside. Clients can read our deep dive into the alternative meat industry in our report, I Can't Believe It's Not Meat, available on Barclays Live as well as our recent initiation on Beyond Meat called A Look Beyond the Hype. That's all for now from this Barclays podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on The Flip Side. For more insights about this topic, clients can log into Barclays Live or find out more at barclays.com slash IB.